from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. With a little encouragement from the MacArthur Justice Center. Maybe pushing is maybe the better word. A little pushing, a little federal class action litigation. And they all said, Mike will be a wonderful citizen. He will be a wonderful neighbor and friend to have. I would want to be his neighbor. SB 26 made anyone who is convicted under the age of 18 for any crime less than first-degree murder or capital murder eligible for parole after 15 years. I'm Sarah Fenske. Yesterday brought big news in a story we've followed closely on this show. Michael Polite has been behind bars for the last 23 years. Mike was accused as a teenager of killing his mother, Rita, and then setting her body on fire. He has always maintained he didn't do it, and a growing body of evidence argues for his innocence. His lawyers have filed with the Missouri Supreme Court, seeking a special master to examine the evidence in his case. But Mike Polite and his lawyers have also been working on a different front. Regardless of the question of his innocence, they have argued that he deserves to be paroled, to be told that he has served his time. After being sentenced to life in prison as a teen, they say, 23 years behind bars is long enough. Now, Mike had a parole hearing on January 20th. That was his first chance to make a case for his freedom. And yesterday, he and his family learned of the parole board's ruling. He will be released from prison on April 23rd. That is huge news for Mike's family and for his supporters. And joining us now to talk about it is Megan Crane. She is Mike's attorney. She's also the co-director of the Missouri office of the Roderick and Solange MacArthur Justice Center. Megan, welcome back. Thanks so much, Sarah overjoyed to be here. Absolutely. And we're also joined today by Melanie Polite. She is one of Michael Polite's two older sisters. Melanie, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So this is news that you have been waiting for for so many years. How did you get the news of the parole board's decision? I got a phone call. It was a simple phone call from the victim's advocates. Her name was Julie. Um, She just called and gave me the news. She said she was going to make my day, and she sure did. What was your reaction at that point? Well, I screamed. uh, I scared my dogs. (laughs) And... And then I just started spreading the news. Yeah. And so one of the people you were able to talk to pretty soon thereafter was Mike. He actually called you? Yes. And at this point, did he know? He did. The first words out of his mouth was, I'm getting out of here on April 23rd. <laughs> and so he was pretty pumped. <laughs> yes, very excited. And so you were notified about this because this is your mother was killed. You are considered the victim in this case. That's right. But you have also supported your brother throughout this process. That is right. You were there at that parole hearing yes. to advocate for him. Yes, I was. And Megan, you were also there at that parole hearing. This has been something that has been a long time incoming. When Mike was sentenced, he was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. He was sentenced to life with the possibility of parole, but he would not have had the opportunity to go before the parole board for many more years from now. Um, 
except for thanks for this legislation that recently reformed that process for youth. And so this is sort of a multi-pronged effort. This all sort of traces back to the U.S. Supreme Court. Can you tell us the short version of how we got to where we are today? Yeah, here's the quick and dirty nutshell version, I hope. Um, As you said, Mike was 14 when he was arrested and ultimately convicted for a crime that occurred when he was 14. He became eligible eligible for parole today thanks to a bill passed last summer by the Missouri legislature, SB 26. SB 26 made anyone who was convicted under the age of 18 for any crime less than first-degree murder or capital murder eligible for parole after 15 years. As you said, Sarah, this grew out of a long line of U.S. Supreme Court court cases starting in 2005 that essentially embrace this idea that kids are different. They're not just mini adults. Their brains are different. Their behavior is different. And the science now proves, neuroscience shows, that they're less mature, more impulsive, more impressionable, more vulnerable to influence, and more controlled by emotion than rational thought. Ultimately, the court concluded, and Missouri has now also accepted, that this makes kids both less culpable for the crimes they commit and more capable of rehabilitation. They're more capable of change. And the data and our clients who have been released so far after decades in prison growing up behind bars have proved this. They have been out. Some have been out for a couple years, and they are successful. They do not reoffend. They do not go back to prison. They have a much higher chance of success than people who go into prison as adults. Hmm. Um, Missouri responded to this U.S. Supreme Court cases with a series of new legislation and parole reforms over the past couple years, with a little encouragement from the MacArthur Justice Center. Maybe pushing is maybe the better word. A little pushing, a little federal class action litigation that ensured that these reforms were actually implemented meaningfully and that these people who were coming up to the parole board after growing up behind bars actually had a real opportunity to prove They were now mature, they were rehabilitated, and they were ready for release. And now we've seen these reforms have been meaningful because people are going home. Mm -hmm. So we've come a long way, Sarah, since 2005. But I do want to emphasize today that the struggle is now not over. This bill passed last summer, SB 26, but there's currently a bill pending in the Missouri Senate, SB 664, that wants to take some of that back. It's a reaction to last summer's legislation, and it wants to retract parole eligibility for people convicted as kids of second-degree murder. And this is Mike. Yes. Um, We don't know if it's going to pass. We'll know by the end of the session. But it is an open question. What happens if it passes? Will it be imposed retroactively? Could his freedom then be retracted? I surely hope not. But I think we have to be honest that that is a real possibility on the table. Some people might remember the case of Demetrius Woods. Tony Messenger did a story on it. He was in a similar situation, was out for two years, got a call from DOC that parole eligibility for cases like his had changed, and they were planning to come and bring him back. Thankfully, our governor intervened there and pardoned him. But the same thing, Mike could be in those same shoes, God forbid. So despite this good news, I mean, this is this is a case where you feel like he's not out of the woods yet on this. There's a, there's a, a political battle now in addition to these legal battles that have had to be fought. There's a political battle waging as we speak. And I hope that Mike's case and the, Mike ma- the man Mike is today will be kind of a rallying point for people to, to push back on that legislation because our clients have proved it is not appropriate. The people have grown up in prison are ready to come home and they will be successful, productive 
citizens ready to contribute to their society. So I do think it's important to note here as we talk about um, somebody getting a chance to go in front of the parole board, this is not just a slam dunk. I mean, once you get that date, you get a chance to make your case, but you still have to make that case. And and you have to make the case. Uh, Megan, what are the things that they're supposed to be looking at at this point for these formal juvenile offenders? The primary driving question for the parole board is supposed to be, can this person be released safely into society without risk to the community or the themselves. In Mike's case, that was an easy question. No one involved in this case wanted Mike in prison anymore or believed he should be in prison anymore. That included the victim's family, Melanie, her sister, and the rest of their relatives. That included the prosecutor out of Washington County who wrote a detailed, compelling letter in support of Mike's parole and noted that the citizens of his community, including current and former law enforcement, believed Mike deserved to come home. And it included DOC staff, people who work with and supervise Mike day in and day out for the past 23 years. And they all said, Mike will be a wonderful citizen. He will be a wonderful neighbor and friend to have. I would want to be his neighbor in the community. So, Melanie, you were there at that hearing, again, to support your brother's release. And this is something that has been on your mind now for decades. What was it like to hear so many people say, this man deserves to be let out of prison? Well, it was was awesome. I I really appreciate all the people that have come forward in support of Mike. He deserves it. He's a good person. He has a good heart. He only wants what's best for everybody that he loves and cares about, and even people that he doesn't even know. Um, If anybody deserves this chance, it is Mike. So you were 21 years old when your mother was murdered. Yes. And you lost your mother that night, and then in very short order, your brother was taken away from you. Yes. What was that like for you? Well, I had just pretty much lost all my family except for my sister. Um, you have one older sister. She was at the time uh, married, uh, living living outside the family. Correct. And yes. so, so you were there living with your little brother, living with your mother. One was killed. One was arrested. Right. How hard was that to deal with? It was really hard. I, you know, I didn't know if I was going to make it through the day, every day. Um, a lot of crying, a lot of sadness. I was angry. The police weren't listening when we were telling them, like, look at this person, look at this person. You're not doing your job. Um, Then they just pretty much shut us out after that. So dealing with it, it's been hard, but we've made it through. Um, And we've made it through together as a family. Um, Even though we're not together, we've been together and, and the police, or the, the sheriff's office, they were so certain that Mike did this. We now know from these case files that, that Megan and her team of lawyers have dug so deeply into, they really didn't look carefully at any other suspects. Did you ever think, okay, they must know something I don't know. Maybe he did this. No. No, I Flat never out, thought never. that. Yeah. I never thought that. I saw him the night before and the morning after, and he was in the same clothes. He was in the same clothes with no blood, no scratches, no nothing, only soot. He, soot covered his whole body. That was it. Because your mother's trailer had been set on fire. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so I knew he didn't do it. I knew he didn't. And but, I knew they were looking at the wrong person. We all did. You know, me and Crystal, we knew. And we kept telling the, the sheriff, Ron Skiles, please, why don't you investigate at least our dad? Because there's a lot of suspicion around that. Um, but they didn't even get his official statement for almost a year. So that's not good investigating. 
So we visited Mike in the Jefferson City Correctional Center last summer, and he talked to us about the case against him. He also talked about why he wouldn't plead guilty to killing your mother, despite the fact that he was facing serious pressure to make that plea. I feel like in a lot of ways they disregarded a lot of evidence, like my mother's fingernails. They never tested a rape kit. Why would you not test a rape kit of a woman who's just murdered? And they offered you a plea bargain. They did offer me a plea bargain. They offered me 15 years for voluntary manslaughter. And that would have included time served. Time served. I would have been home probably in 2008. I'd have been home about 12 years ago. Were you tempted at the time to no. take that? No. Looking back on it now, no. is there a part of you? No. No part of you. No. Nope. I mean, you would have been out in 2008. No, I'll die in here. I didn't murder my mother. And she's going to get her justice. So, Melanie, that's your little brother. That's Mike Polite. What's going through your mind listening to, to his words there? You know, it's, it's sad that he's had to have this life. It's not fair to him. Um, but even though our lives turned out like this, he has really persevered and, and done such good things, even behind bars. Um, I'm just really proud. I'm proud to be his sister. I'm proud I can call him my little brother. Um, and I can't wait to hug him for longer than five seconds. <laughs> That's going to be huge. And when he gets out, do you know where he'll be living initially? With me. You're ready for that. I am so ready for that. Come on over. <laughs> so, Megan, I want to just add, in our final minute or so here, um, Mike is making a case for his innocence. You have filed with the Missouri Supreme Court. Um, you want to see them not just let him out of prison, but also say that, that here's somebody who didn't do it. Where does that effort stand at this point? Yeah, I'm so glad you just played that quote because um, Mike is thrilled to be coming home, but parole has never been the event for Mike. For Mike, exoneration is the event and more for his mother than for him. He wants justice for his mother, and that is his driving goal. So his habeas petition's pending in the Missouri Supreme Court. It's fully briefed. It has been fully briefed since last fall, and we're just awaiting an order. Our hope is that we're going to get a special master appointed who will dig into the evidence and have an evidentiary hearing where our experts who conclusively disprove the very lean evidence that ever existed against Mike was false, and where those experts and other witnesses can testify and finally tell the truth of this case. So if people want to read up on this case, we have the habeas petition that Megan mentioned. We have that posted on our website as well as an in-depth story about Mike, a 50-minute audio documentary, or you can read it whichever you prefer. You can go to stlonair.show slash justice for Rita. That will take you directly to that story and that legal filing. Megan Crane, thank you so much for joining us thank today. Thank you so much, Sarah. And Megan is the co-director of the Missouri Office of the Roderick and Solange MacArthur Justice Center. And also thank Thank you, Melanie Polite, for joining us. Thank you for having me. And congratulations, man. I feel like you're just going to be like walking on, on sunshine for yes, weeks now. We are for the rest of our lives as long as he gets to stay out. <laughs> Today's episode was produced by Sarah Fenske with audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dorr. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. If you learned something new from today's episode, consider leaving us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the easiest way to help people discover our show. We appreciate it. Thank you. 
St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at ChooseWood.com.